What's going on, military cash flow family? We got a great episode for you today. We got an awesome episode for you to get with uh, Mr. Aaron Holker. Uh, he's actually a really good friend of mine. Uh, we wrestled a lot, and um, he's, he's just a really all around, all around good guy, man. Um, today's episode, he's going to be talking about, um, you know, why he does what he does in the military, and then also he, you know, he's built some side hustles, right? And then with those side hustles has taken that to transition into real estate as well. So I think this is going to be a fantastic episode. It's a lot learned here, a bunch of diamonds thrown out for you. So I'm hoping you enjoy this one, Mike. Yeah, it's going to be solid, guys, because just like uh, most of the the underlying, you know, things that we see, the constants, right, that we see is that people are being able to take their nine to five skills, the skills that they've developed over life, and then turn these into money-making machines, right? And so now he's going to take his logistical background and apply it to something that we all would want. All of us would love to know how we can buy things for pennies on the dollar and then sell it at a markup, right? And just collect the difference. But now check this out. Not only are we going to discuss that and how he does it, but he applies that to real estate too. It's nasty. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, Military Cash Flow? Today, I'm very, very excited. We got a great guest, one of my friends, uh, Aaron Holker. He's on. He's going to talk about his experiences. And uh, welcome to the show, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thank you very can, much. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just give us a like brief background, and then we'll kind of uh, kick this conversation off. All right. Well, first off, I'm a father of four. Um, pr proud father. Uh, and then uh, hard to describe my me and my personality without saying I'm a wrestler. So it kind of describes who I am, uh, how I think, uh, what makes me tick. Uh, pretty intense guy. I've uh, been in the military for 19 years. I'm a logistician, currently stationed at Leavenworth. And then right now I'm in the barracks room uh, here at Fort Knox. That's where our main operations are at. Um, and yeah, I just started uh, my real estate career. And uh, so I'm looking at about a year out from retirement, maybe, maybe two years, but I want to be prepared. Uh, so I can soften that cushion between military and civilian life. So uh, military is definitely something I'll maintain doing. Um, maybe I'll do another nine to five job and that'll just fund my real estate opportunities. Nice. Love it. Love it. So you mentioned one thing, you know, you know, I'm going to kind of brag on you a little bit here. So you said you're just a wrestler, man. You're a really intense guy. Well, you, what you guys might not know, Aaron Hoker here is a uh, 2002, 2003, 2002. 2002 D1 national uh national champion wrestler 140 41 141 pounds dude like if you guys don't know man that's some serious stuff right there you, you wrestled with uh uh you wrestled on the Iowa team right yeah Iowa State, Iowa right? State. Mm -hmm. yeah like phenomenal man I, I went and watched it like a couple times that actual uh that that actual championship round is pretty cool if you guys don't know I'm a I'm a big wrestling fan, uh, wrestled in high school and stuff like that too. So um, when I found out Mr. Aaron Holker was a D1 wrestler, dude, uh, 
we, we've had many a battles on the uh on the fort stewart, <laughs> yeah. stewart that's there. how we met yeah that's how we that. met yeah old colonel headers i'm still working with him right now and yep, uh yep. And I'm, I'm company commander at Fort Stewart and, and uh, Colonel Hedrick sends me an email. Don't know who this guy is. He says, I'm a college wrestler from James Madison. And we have this little workout crew that comes Tuesdays and Fridays every morning. I, I can't remember the Jim Johnson gym. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, I went to the, I think the following Friday and uh, that's where I met you, Adrian Taylor, Jason. And so we started battling it out and then, you know, we started going every Tuesday and Friday and, um, Oh yeah, that, those are some intense battles we had there. Yeah, huge shout out to, to Coach Hedricks, man. He's he's a he's a he's a staple in the community, at least in the Army community, when it comes to combative. So it's uh, it's awesome there. Yeah, man. What? Yeah. What? How did this? How did that uh, journey start for you, man? Were you always wrestling, like as a kid? Were you getting into fights and stuff, or like how did how did it go? No, uh, no, I don't. I never considered myself a tough guy at all. Uh, I just felt like. I could hold myself against the bullies out there. And so I started when I was five. My dad was a college wrestler, uh, Rick's College up there in Idaho. And my very first match when I was five, uh, my end up being my best friend was I was beating him by like five points, but he was the first tough guy I came across. And so I was crying my eyes out. And my dad's like, just finish the match. I didn't want to do it. I was, you know, sitting on the side of the mat. He's like, no, 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 you're going to get penalty points. Just go out there. Just, just stand there and just don't get taken down. And so I, I ended up winning it, but yeah, my first three years in, in wrestling, I, I never lost. So I felt like, um, I, I might as well just stick with this sport. Damn. That's intense. I mean, it's, it's rare to see somebody just starts, especially as a child, right. Mm-hmm. And, and never lose for that many consecutive matches in a row. Yeah. So, so a lot of times when we're children or when we're younger and we're going through adversity and we're going through things it's teaching us a lot about uh, ourselves right now for you as a child what was wrestling teach you and, and what was the difference between like you know and other things you might fail and other things you might struggle with but in wrestling you seem to be like a phenom as so at such a young age what were some of the things that were going through your mind and, and stuff at that age yeah I, so wrestling for me was has been a life experience it's been really intense for me just because it was i don't know i was five uh, to me, there was a lot of pressure built up. Like I wouldn't eat before matches. I was always nervous, nervous wreck. It didn't matter if it was a good wrestler or a bad wrestler. It was just, I was a nervous wreck the entire time. Uh, if I lost, um, you know, my mom remembers this too. I, you couldn't even really talk to me for like two weeks and stuff. So it was just a, you know, me and rest. That's why I say, if you, if you describe who I am, wrestling is a big part of that because yeah. uh, it affected uh, who I was and, and, and uh, you know, my everyday life. So it, it almost like held me back with, with what, uh, you know, my progression in life for, for, you know, it's kind of unhealthy in a while. So the more I lost, the more I kind of gained character, the more I kind of, uh, learned more about me. And so, you know, I lost quite a bit, maybe my freshman year, I was 85 pounds wrestling 103. And so I, I had to learn, I had to pull through that adversity wrestling people that were cutting from like 110, 115. And, um, yeah. And so I just, I just stuck with it. I, I finally got some, really good matches in and uh, I found success and, and uh, you know, finally got to feel what it, you know, understand what it feels like to lose consistently. And then, uh, you know, just kept battling through. So that's kind of where I think I gained a little bit more steam and I was able to, to actually work at some things that I didn't have to work at when I was just winning just from, you know, being uh, natural at the sport. I like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, man, that'll definitely uh, that'll definitely build you some character character and humble you a little bit when you start out. Yeah, um, for sure, matches, man. But um, yeah, yeah, I love to talk about the love to talk about the wrestling, man. It's it's, it's definitely a huge part of. Uh, I can see it can be a huge part of who you are, and it definitely made me a huge part of who I am as well. What now? What about um? What about like? I guess just your financial background. Right. How what was your what was it like growing up for you as far as like your introduction to finance? Because we're going to we're kind of using this as like kind of a lead up into how how you got where you are and how you're getting into this stuff. Right. So um, how did that shape you or what was your you know upbringing around finances like? Yeah, very, very different uh, to how I think now. Uh, so when you look at uh, rich dad, poor dad, um, you know, uh, I was not raised to think the way uh, that you know, uh, rich dad, poor dad, that the author thinks, uh, now. So I, I still think I, right now I'm thinking more on the, along those lines, but, uh, back in the day, uh, the way I was raised, uh, it was just more, you know, my dad was kind of struggling, you know, we, we were a middle-class family uh, on the surface, but you know, there was a lot of debt there. Um, didn't really have someone to teach me. Uh, we, we never, I think we owned a house, but I think he foreclosed on it. Uh, so really it wasn't a, a lot of, financial, uh, teaching. And so really, uh, but what it did teach us and the rest of my siblings, I have, I have four other siblings, all of us are doing really well, uh, uh, financially. So my, my sister, uh, doing very well up in California. She's like, you know, on TikTok, uh, making a bunch of money on all those uh, social apps. And then, uh, you know, my brother sells solar panels door to door. So, you know, we kind of, uh, I guess it's more like survival. We always work hard. We're always trying to, you know, to, to make sure that whatever money we make, we're preparing for the future. Uh, and so that was, that's always been something on my mind. That's why I joined the military. I want to have some sort of safe income, you know, no matter what, there's a downturn in the market, whatever it is, I'll have something to fall back on. So that's why, you know, I, I wrote it out all the way to retirement, uh, or I will be writing it out all the way to retirement, but yeah. It's real close, mm -hmm. man. I, you know, that's oh, yeah. a common, that's a common uh, thread, right? A lot of us have, I don't even know what to really call it, maybe disdain or something like, or we didn't appreciate, or we didn't enjoy seeing what our parents went through, the struggle mm -hmm. they went through or some of the hardships. And ultimately that turned around and allowed us to focus on finances in a different way. What, what oh, yeah. would you say is the, uh, maybe like the number one lesson that you learned just from observing your parents in that financial situation? So, yeah, they did a lot of things wrong. So uh, basically what I want to do is whatever you make, it doesn't matter how much that is. It's, it's whatever you, you save. And so, yes. you know, whether I'm working my butt off or not, you know, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice some. So I, that, that way I can save whatever I, whatever I'm making. So I, that's kind of, what you know not all of us all of us are doing something to work all the kids um you know we're, we're not there's not really a time that goes by where we're just out of a job or or, or out of work for a sustained period of time we just got to put the work in we grind it out and then we just save as much as we can i love that man the power of saving is is slept on people aren't thinking about it and honestly just like you said you know when you if you can keep more of what you earn Oh, yeah. That's the basis right there. You know, save it, invest it in whatever else you want to do, but just controlling your spending. So, so impactful. Yeah. Not yeah about absolutely. What you, not about what you make, what you keep, man. That's definitely a hundred percent, hundred percent true. I like that. Um, 
you know, definitely reading the Robert Kiyosaki's book has, has helped so many people. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think we've had a couple of conversations. You've mentioned, you mentioned that book as well. So, um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, I, I want to kind of talk about a little bit of some other things you were doing. Now you're an officer in the military, you're doing well, obviously you, you make, you know, a decent living being in, mm-hmm. in the military. Right. But you still had like the hustle and the ambition to, to go out and still do more things. Right. Um, and build like a few other streams of income. Can you talk us through some of that? Like why you decided to do that? Cause not a lot of us do that, especially on the officer side. We don't, we don't Mm -hmm. do a lot of like, um, at least a lot of my peers don't do a lot of like side hustles to where they can make more money and things like that. Can you talk us through that? Why you do that? What that looks like? And, uh, we'll just start there. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what we're talking about is, you know, I can make all this money in the world. I keep on seeing myself go up in rank every year. I, there's a, let's say a 2.5 or 3.4% increase in our military base pay. Actually this year we're getting 4.4, but so I'm looking at all these increases and I'm always looking ahead thinking, okay, when I get to this next rank, that's the time where I can save 200 or $500 more a month. Well, that, that day never happened. It never happened. Um, for whatever uh, multiple reasons, it never happened. So we we were just basically living paycheck to paycheck, no matter what rank I was, uh, what pay grade increase there was. And so I, I had to do something. So I was actually at NTC, uh, this is back in 2016, 2000, no, yeah, 2017, 2018. Uh, I went ahead and I just, I just got a separate bank account. I just started saving like $250 a month. And I didn't tell anyone about it because at the time someone found out, I'd be like, hey, well, I'm going to have after a year of that, you know, 250 times 12, you know, whatever that number is, that's what I have saved away. And so uh, that was the start. Uh, and then uh, we went to uh, Leavenworth there at CGSC. And then while I was there, that's when I started listening to your podcast. I started kind of getting an idea of, you know, I mean, need to be doing something. I need to be uh, doing something extra, save more away because, you know, when times go bad, I want to have something you know, for the family, not for me, it's not for a boat, not for a motorcycle. It's, uh, it's to save money away and, and prepare for whatever mercies are, are going to come in our future. So I, I actually, I was at CGSC and, and I was, I was busy at CGSC. I was doing the KU supply chain management masters. So not only am I doing my CGSC till 1700, I'm doing a uh, six to nine with KU masters. So I really didn't have time to do a psychic at the time, but then COVID hit 2020. So then all that stuff went away. Right. So now I'm, I'm in my house. I'm bored out of my mind. Uh, CGSC kind of stopped for like a month because they're kind of getting their stuff together. They're taking all that blackboard stuff and finding out how they're going to do this online. Uh, so they actually told us, don't even go to the building or they can kick us out. So I'm bored out of my mind. I'm sitting there in my house uh, and I see this this garbage man. Uh, this garbage man comes and he's struggling. He's by himself. Right. He has he's doing his, his uh, routes and uh, my uh, wife at the time, uh, really loved this guy. He was good to our son. So I just asked him, I'm like, what are you do? What are you doing? Like, uh, do you need help? And so, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, at the time it wasn't for money. It was just to kind of keep myself busy. So it was kind of a, it's a funny story because I didn't really want to do it to make money. I just wanted to do it to, to help him out and to, to kind of keep myself busy. So then I met him at five at McDonald's and, and the weird conversation we had was, Hey, you know, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for money. And he's like, well, I need to pay you. And I was like, well, if you're going to pay me, just give me $10, uh, $10. He goes, well, I usually charge, I usually pay $25 an hour. And I was like, well, that's too much. Uh, how about we do, how about we do 12? 
right? And he's like, well, 15. So I think we, I, don't, I forgot what that number was, but it was like reverse negotiation. Finally, I accepted something and then I was going on this route and I finished, I finished CGSC at that garbage route. Um, it was actually going to my own neighborhood. I was like in a really nice neighborhood. Every house had a three car garage and I'm sitting there as a garbage man picking up their trash, but it was a really good time. So that, that kind of got me started. Like, Hey, I could be doing this, you know, I can be doing this all the time. So then I moved to Fort Stewart and then that's where I met my neighbor, uh, James Welch. Uh, there's a shout out there, but he's, he's still there. Uh, and the entire 188 first army chain of command is doing this gig where they go to a warehouse and they pick up liquidation pallets and sell them online on Facebook marketplace. So that's where, that's where, uh, I really got started in the side gig business. And, uh, you know, it's not a, a ton of money, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a healthy amount of cash flow. So then I even got my wife involved. Uh, I bought a truck and the reason I bought a truck is not to have a nice truck is to justify, I can pick up more pallets right? I can actually make more money if I, if I buy this truck. So it justifies the, the uh, large car payments that I made there. And so I was pulling the trailer, driving the truck, probably, you know, picking up five pallets a week and selling them on Facebook marketplace. And then my wife was listing them. So I get home from work and she'd be like, all right, you got to pick up here. You got to deliver here. Uh, so we we're, we we're grossing or, uh, we we're netting, uh, probably like three K average a month. And, uh, so it was, it was also a good time doing it. And, uh, so I just kind of went, uh, went forward from there. Then I got orders to Fort Leavenworth, which was like about a year ago. Um, I moved in June and then the game kind of changed with pallets. Uh, Kansas city has a market to where, uh, you don't really pick them up in bulk. You, you kind of bid on them. So I could bid on like 15 to 20 different items, but, but you know, some people are, are all outbidding me and it gets, gets to a price that's not favorable. So now it's more of a, it's more of a website game. So now when I go to pick up, I might've only won like three or five of those bids. And so I don't need a truck anymore. So I'm, I'm, I have the truck right now. It's in the parking lot. I'm going to probably trade in for like a Hyundai Elantra and do a Lyft or Uber, uh, maybe save some gas money there, but I'm always going to be doing some, there's always going to be some side gig going on. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. love it, man. Like you, you said something that I think is very, very key. And I want to I want to kind of do a deep dive into the pallets because it seems like that's a great side gig that other other oh, yeah. soldiers can do, right? That we we've not talked about or never I've not heard about. I'm familiar with it, but I'm not in talking to you. That's the only reason why I'm familiar with it. But um, so but you said something very impactful. You you said um, you know, that next rank, I'm going to be able to save money. And this is what this is when I'm gonna start putting money away or investing it and so on and so forth. Never happened. I, I Exactly. <laughs> I, I think there's so many of us that do that exact same thing, man. Like um, in, in, I think it, it has to do with like just lifestyle creep, man. Like you start, you start mm -hmm. uh, hanging with the other, with the other, you know, s soldiers or hang whatever, you know, whatever um, your friend group is, you start to kind of like get accustomed to that. Right. And you kind of just, just kind of, I guess kind of go with the flow and, and um keep increasing your your lifestyle changes, right? Um yep. and you can usually do one of two things. You can either continue to let that happen, right? Or you can do something about it. And obviously you chose to do something about it. Um what what was it that like that like kind of just sparked the light for you that was like, hey, this is this is not working out. I gotta, you know, I gotta make that change. Like what, what was it for you? I think it just goes back to our first conversation, looking at my parents and looking at their situation right now. Um, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're, 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 they're still surviving. They're, you know, uh, they're in their seventies. And, and so I'm looking at my future 
And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm going to be right there with them. Uh, so I'm trying to, trying to get myself ahead because it's not only just what my survival looks like, right? I don't want my kids to be able to take care of me, but I want maybe to give something to my kids as well. And so that, that constant drive is, is what drove me to be like, you know, instead of waiting for that next rank to, to get me my, my money, it never happened. And so now I'm like, when I, I, it's almost like panic mode. It's like, mm -hmm. I need to do something. Uh, and so uh, these side gigs started me and I knew it wasn't the end state. I'm not going to be doing pallets forever, but it was, it just got me into that field of, and that, that way of thinking, getting my habits to where I'm always thinking about making uh, an extra uh, couple dollars. But, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely something that, and I talked to my brother about it. He, he's uh, selling solar panels door to door and he makes quite a, a bit of money doing that. But, you know, he, he also had his, times where he was struggling the last couple of years and and he was he has that same fear and i was like we were we were able to relate this is this is actually a couple months ago when he was living with me in kansas city and uh yeah we're, we're both very paranoid about falling in the same trap uh as the people before us and so and it's not that's just, what drives us it's not just you man like every i, I think if, if you're out there listening and i'm sure you probably have those same those same thoughts right like what do you what do you say to or how do you speak to I guess everyone in that situation, like trying to catch them early or like, what, what is your, I don't know, to, to, you got four kids, right? So, I mean, yeah. what is the thing that you're going to help tell them or teach them or, you know, what, what is something that you can say to any of the listeners out there? It's kind of like thinking the same thing. So, yeah, I, my, uh, the, one of the things I want to teach my kids is just for, for me, it's hard work. It doesn't have to be hard work. But for me, I'm using uh, the, the work ethic that I was taught. So that's one thing my parents did give me is, is good, hard work ethic and, and obviously wrestling as well. But I'm using that to, to my advantage, you know. So here I am at, at Fort Knox. Uh, I'm working. My, my first shift is at 07. We have a changeover brief. And then we work till 1900. And then uh, after 1900, I get my civilians on. I go to downtown Louisville and I do lift for about four or five hours. Come home at midnight. Mm -hmm. And then uh, go to bed, wake up and do it again. So I'm, I'm making a good, I'd say about $600, $700 a week off lift. And then I'm doing my military job in the day. And I'm not affecting, you know, military job comes first. And so I'm making sure right. that's not affected. But yeah, definitely uh, when when it's time to go, I'm, I'm able to make a little bit of extra cash. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. 
So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. You know, this is extremely important because, um, so how long, how long ago was it when you started the, the garbage, uh, picking up the services with, with that guy? So, so the garbage was in, uh, 2020, uh, after COVID. So I think it would probably be what March, late March, early April. Okay. Excellent. 2019 so, or 20, so sorry. This is a perfect example of the, So I've been doing a lot of studying on the psychology of money, of money, right. And a lot of things that we inherit is from our parents. And so like you just mentioned, you and your siblings, you guys now have a kind of a fear-based association with money oh, yeah. as far as you don't want it. So you don't want to struggle for it. Yes. Right. But even then it still took a little bit of time before it actually registered full yeah. on. Yeah. Right? I'm, so, I'm sitting there. I'm like 37. Oh no, no, I'm 30, 38, 39 years old. Doing yeah. Stuff. And it finally clicked. It took me a while. And that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly natural. So for everybody out there who is feeling like, uh, you know, ashamed or whatever the whatever the case may be about uh, not having that light bulb click for you. It takes time. There there is a psychological studies about this all the way. We learn from different areas in our life. And only when we're ready to hear the message will that light bulb actually click for us. So yeah. it's OK. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> so what's uh? so after you uh, started taking um, this extra income, you're putting away for savings. Do you have any plans for investing some of that excess capital? Do you have any plans specifically? Yes. For that strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so this is how it went down. I um, I don't know if you want me to talk about my my real estate um, deal in Kansas City. Do you want me to talk about that now or later? We're, de we're definitely yeah. going to talk about definitely going to talk about that, man. Um, before we before we touch into that, because I think that's super okay. important. And, and uh, but I want to talk about the pallet flipping though, because I think that's a really nice side gig that some okay. other people could possibly do. So can you just kind of walk us over? Uh, okay. Walk us through what that looks like, like simple setup. You know, just who okay. do you go to to buy this. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So in a nutshell, uh, so when I was in my supply chain management course, uh, there was one of the factors in our equations was, you know, you have the cost of the product and then you have what you sell it for. And then you have the delta between the two. But then that third part of the equation is called salvage. It's if you don't sell at the stores, what do you do with it? So uh, big businesses, Amazon and Home Depot are the two biggest ones. They salvage uh, their items that they don't sell or they get returned. So it's called overstock or returned items. And so they sell it to a liquidation warehouse uh, and there's many of them. I mean, you go, you can look up Google maps right now, liquidation and every major city has it. So in Savannah, there's actually only like two or three, but then basically uh, these warehouses, they buy from Home Depot, Amazon and others, but those are the two biggest ones. They buy these at liquidation items by the truckload. And so let, let's say they spend five or you know, five or $10,000 off a truckload. Well, then they break those truckloads down by pallets, probably about 25, 26 pallets per truckload. And then they sell those pallets to people like me that sends, ends up buying the pallet and selling it on Facebook marketplace. There's other avenues too, but Facebook marketplace is probably one of the better ones to do it. I think you can sell it on Amazon too. Uh, I've, I've seen people do it. I haven't done it personally, but uh, Facebook marketplace is really the main avenue I do to sell my, my products. Uh, so I try to get um, double my money. So the, you know, someone getting into this business, 
the way I'd like to correlate it is that people buying it by the truckload are probably buying these things at 10 to 15% of retail value. They turn around and sell it to us. You try to get 25% of retail value. So that way you can sell it about 50% because these guys on Facebook marketplace, they're crazy. They're not going to buy anything unless it's something very, very high demand. They're usually just going to buy like, you know, 50% of retail value. So I buy at 25, I double it by selling at 50%. Uh, so I also try to uh, look, my strategy is buying large items, big furniture, couches, treadmills, because if I'm going to do all the work to list it and to meet up with someone uh, and to haul it, uh, I'm going to make sure I'm going to make $100 per transaction. Uh, I was at first trying to get the cheaper, smaller stuff, and it just it was just too much. I'm not going to spend all this money on $5, $10. So I did really well. I did really well in, in Savannah. I was, like I told you, I was clearing 3, 3K. And for me, that's a lot, right? A uh, father of four. And uh, so we were able to fund Disney trips and stuff. But like, yeah, that, I'm not saving, right? So I'm kind of violating rule number one there, but, uh, but yeah, it was good. Um, and so, yeah, the pallet, the pallet business is good. Uh, and like I said, I go to Kansas city now and there is still warehouses that, that you can buy from in bulk, but really the game was, uh, this huge conglomerate website that has about 250, 300,000 viewers and every warehouse lists their items on this website and mm. you bid for it. And so I was just bidding on some stuff earlier today, but uh, you can get really cheap. I bought a console table for $24 and I just sold it for 200. It's $450 retail, but you know, Kansas city games a little different, right? Because it's so saturated. Uh, you can't really even sell stuff for, for 50%. So, you know, I had this thing listed for like 250 people are offering me like 150. I'm like, you guys are crazy. It's a brand new, I mean, this, I'm telling you, this is brand new stuff. This isn't like uh some of the stuff is damaged and, you know, you got to watch out, but, uh, most of the stuff I sell on, uh, from these liquidation warehouses, uh, they're brand new, like absolutely brand new. So it's just, maybe the box was dented. Uh, maybe it just wasn't sold in the store, but yeah, they're, they're good stuff. See, what I like about this is this is just, this is just business one-on-one business one-on-one you find low inventory, a high market for demand and you upsell it. You, you mark up the price and you just collect the difference. Um, when you started doing this, obviously you said that this was something that you were kind of introduced to because a lot of people were doing it at the previous base, but did your logistic background play a role into like your ability to comprehend and your ability to accelerate and anything like that? Uh, and I don't know, uh, what it was, but I do feel like I was able to analyze a deal better than most. So I kind of found trends. Uh, so for instance, I was the first one in the warehouse to kind of locate in it. You know, I'm a, I'm a talker. So yeah. I kind of ruined my strategy by telling other people what my strategy is, but that's yeah. fine. I, I, I'm, I'm just an extrovert. So that's kind of my downfall. Uh, but so I'm, I'm, I targeted treadmills right away because what I found with treadmills, what, right. It's a big item. So I can sell, I can buy them for like 100 to 150 and sell them for 450. Uh, it was the Nordatrack ones and out and they sold a ton of these treadmills. A lot of people are staying away from because they're heavy. Um, they didn't want to build them. I was the one I, I, I found out right away. If I list something on Facebook Marketplace and it's just a box, no one's, I mean, if you're buying it, you're taking a risk. These these yep. uh, retailers that are buying on Facebook Marketplace, they don't like taking a risk, right? They want to see something done up for them. So I build the treadmill, I test it out, make sure it's good. And then I, uh, I really like that product because I sold probably 50 to 60 of these things, but really only one of them 
was truly not able to be ran. It actually still ran, but it was unsafe because it like bent and it wobbled. So that's the only yeah. one I couldn't really sell. Everything else uh, was, it's just a good quality, you know, hard, hardy metal uh, substance. And so, you know, even if it was just, you know, even if the bolts were stripped or something, I could get other bolts because they were just common, uh, a common size. But yeah, I mean, it was really, really good. And so once I started, people saw me making money off this and targeting the treadmills, and you know, other people took, took yeah. notice and, and they started buying that stuff too. But uh, you know, it's, we're, we're, it's funny because we have this inner circle of group friends that were standing in line outside this liquidation pallet. A lot, I mean, this is kind of embarrassing, but I, I'm just going to say it like, you know, so let's say the doors open at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm getting there at eight at night and we're sleeping over, you know, at night, I'm yeah. used to living out of my vehicle I'm from NTC. Uh, so me and, you know, and you, and you get to develop these friendships, there's about five or six other trucks that are staying there with you. And, um, you know, we all kind of like, hey, who was first? Okay. And, and when we stand in line, we got to make sure that some of these guys that just got here at eight in the morning, don't butt in front of us. And so it's, it's a really good time. You know, when I go back to Savannah, you know, it's actually a group of friends that I like to meet. Hey, I didn't know it was like that, man. So, hey, yeah. I, so I want to give the details, give it, give a few details to uh, anybody out there listening that wants to do the same thing, right? So you go to this, you go to Google, you look up liquidation warehouses, yeah. right? You're gonna go there and like you, and it's literally just a warehouse full of, of a bunch of padded pallets. Yes. How are yep. you like? So I've seen I've seen some other people talk about this, and they say like they have like these scanners or something like that, and they scan packets to see our pallets. You, you can scan on your phone. Yeah. So, so you, you take the scanner on your phone, your little QR code, yeah. and then the Amazon, you can press one of the buttons on Amazon and it has a scanner option. Same thing with Home Depot. You can scan on Home Depot. Uh, and so sometimes they scan, I'd say about 50% of the boxes are able to be scanned. And then the ones that aren't, you just find the right number. You type it into either the Home Depot or Amazon website and they pull up. Nice. Uh, and so that's, that's how you find out the retail price and, and that's how you can analyze the deal. Nice. And then about how long does it typically take to like to sell items? I mean, if you got a pallet full of stuff, I mean, it seems like you had a little bit different, different strategies, go with one big item or go with a couple big items. And then they would, yeah, I assume they move pretty quickly, but what is like storage and like, you know, the inventory hold time look like? So if you were to target Christmas pallets right now, you'd probably be able to sell like in the first three days. Uh, and yep. And so like, for instance, let's say these treadmills, I knew I could slow at first I was like selling them for 450, listing them for 450. And then like maybe someone offered me 350 and then I would, I would, I would, uh, accept the deal. I got, you know, I got to know the game with the treadmills and there's nothing, I'm not going to accept anything less than 450 because I knew it was going to be sold. So I'm willing to hold on to it. So there's, there's the storage game. You know, my, my, my freaking garage is full of this stuff. <laughs> my wife just like, what are you doing? But, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a little bit of that going on. I would say, um, if I, if I hold on to it for more than a week then I'll start lowering the price. Uh, and then, so when I get these low ball offers, I have a common neutral, uh, very professional response saying, Hey, you know, this is listed for $400. You offered me 150. I'll tell you what, it's probably gonna take me three months to get to that price because I'm going to lower it to 375 first. And then I'll go wait another 48 hours and then I'll go to 350. And then that's my systematic approach to selling this item. So I'm not going to sell it to you for 150 at this time. So nice. Yeah, it's, I, I love how you just you made a system out of it. You know what the what what people don't realize the backstory behind all these successful people in life, how you mentioned like you and your buddies were sitting outside. Those yeah. are the same conversations that real estate investors are saying, yeah, man, we were waiting at the uh, courthouse steps. 
first thing yeah. in the morning. We come here every weekend. We know like that is how it's done. And when you can find a group of people who share the same interests, who have the same passion, now strategies can be created. Now, you know, partnering like like Aaron, you work with treadmills. I'm sure you had buddies who had other things that they really liked. So yeah. now it could be like a, hey man, hey, I found a treadmill. Uh, yeah. What'd you find? You That's know? exactly <laughs> what it was. Yep. I knew my buddies like the the generators and other stuff. And I was and they would target treadmills. Like I'd be at work and they'd text me like, hey, I got a pallet full of treadmills. See? I'm like, hey, pull the tab, you know, I'll get yep. you back. Yeah, yeah. It was it was good. <laughs> yeah. We had a good close network. That's Absolutely. freaking amazing, man. That's freaking amazing. So <laughs> yeah. for everybody out there who's who's still trying to find their community, I highly encourage you to go out there and start start talking to people. You know, Aaron found a lot of his deals just by talking. He gave away a lot yeah. of his secrets, but hey, it's good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> it's man. For the that's, better. That's absolutely awesome. So I love that you started with that grind and that and it seemed like some of that cash flow, although you, you know, you spent some of it um, yeah. you know, uh building memories with your family, which I don't think that's a waste at all, right? Um yeah. you spent some of that money building memories with your family. Um, I know that you were able to save some of that and then transition, help, help you transition into real estate. Right. So let's yes, talk about, absolutely. Let's, talk, let's talk about the real estate uh, part really quick. I mean, um, I know we, we had talked uh, about what you're doing in a different, kind of in a different light, maybe like a okay. year and a half ago, man. Yeah. And then, and then um, I think we, we talked a couple of weeks ago and you were like, yeah, I just did it. And I'm like, man, this is freaking awesome. Dude. This is absolutely yeah. awesome. Can you tell us about that, man? What was it like? What's the, uh, what strategy are you using and how's that going for you? Yeah. So I had to look up the podcast. You guys do have a podcast. I remember that's one of the ones I listened to that probably got me intrigued, but it was the house hacking episode. Um, it just, I just liked it. And, and so that's what I was thinking of when I had my strategy way back in, I think 2021, when I moved to Stewart, I was going to buy, I think I told, I ran this by you first. I was going to buy something right outside of Fort Stewart uh, because at that time uh, I had two work uh, coworkers. So I was the SPO for AFSBN and my coworker was the XO for AFSBN. He was the living in Jacksonville. And then my GS 14 employee was also living in Jacksonville. So they were renting a hotel uh, out of the old national guard barracks uh, that was converted into a hotel. Uh, and so I think they're paying like $20 a month no, no, $20 a day. And so they were staying there for like five days out of the week and they go back to Jacksonville to live with their family uh, during the weekend. So I did the math. I'm like, well, that's 20 times 20 days. That's $400 a month. If I just buy like a $100,000 home right outside of Fort Stewart and I charge them $400 a month, they'd rather go with me because they can leave their army stuff in their room instead of having to uh, transition it from the hotel to their car to Jacksonville every day. So that's that was kind of my, uh, my theory. And it was going to be through house hacking. So I'd rent by the room. Uh, and then, and I do it that way. And then, so I could justify maybe even double my, my mortgage from a, from a hundred thousand dollars. Cause at the time you can get a three bedroom, two bath house. This is before COVID. Now, was it before? No, it was after COVID, but it was before the, before the, the big blow up of this uh, real estate thing, you can still get a house for a hundred thousand right outside Fort Stewart. And so that was my plan. It never happened. Uh, you know, just, you know, I was trying to you know, save as much money as I could from the palace. I just wasn't able to. Uh, and so it wasn't until I got PCS orders 11 worth. And, uh, and then, you know, my family was going to stay at Stewart because they, they're in Richmond Hill. It's a good neighborhood. They're in sports. Uh, they're in the, the uh, STEM and STEAM programs. And so 
that was just a great opportunity to be like, all right, I'm geo batching it. So I'm going to try this theory. I'm going to buy a house. And, and, and it's so scary, right? Because you hear these stories, you're like, well, is it just them? Right. Is it? Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I bought a house in uh, right outside Kansas city and it was a four bedroom, uh, three bathroom with a basement. And, uh, and so I was going into it saying, you know, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, I can pay the mortgage, uh, the mortgage off with my side gigs. That was, that was my, uh, that was my plan. So I could just store a bunch of stuff in the garage and, and, and operate out of my garage, just live by myself in this four bedroom, three, three bath, uh, home. But, uh, so anyways, I, I was listing this, uh, listing this out in all the apps, right? So the rent ready app lists through, um, I, th I believe it's Zillow. I had it on Facebook Marketplace. I had it on Airbnb and then the Furnish Finder website. And it, it wasn't taking, but on Facebook Marketplace, I was getting like hundreds of hits, hundreds of hits on this house. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously not the, the, the uh, greatest uh, pool of tenants, prospective tenants on Facebook Marketplace, but um, it is what it is, right? I'm not in a, uh, the nicest neighborhood. So which, which kind of proves that this theory works even better, right? I'm in a horrible neighborhood outside of Kansas City. Um, uh, and, and I'm still, I'm listing these things for $720 a room, $1,000 a room for the bigger one. And then the basement, I was listing for a thousand. I was getting a hundred hits on these things. And so I just needed to find a way to filter through all those guys to be able to get a tenant that I could trust or a series of tenants. And so uh, I, I had my own way of sifting that out. Uh, I feel like I picked the right tenants. It's still early in the game, right? They, they just paid their first month, uh, rent, uh, earlier this month. Um, and so, uh, they're renting from me now. Everything's good. And I'm able to have someone else not only pay my mortgage, but pay all my utilities. And I still take home $800 a month and I'm still able to live there in the basement. So, I felt like I cracked the code. I mean, I know it's still early, but I cracked the code and now I'm going to try to do this in new places. So I need to find a home next to my family in, in Georgia. I'm going to do it in Georgia. I have family in Utah. I'm going to do it in Utah. Uh, and then from there it's, it's wide open. I can do vacation homes. Uh, my buddy, I just talked my buddy into this. He wasn't thinking of real estate. He just bought a home in winter park there uh, outside of Denver. And so he's going to be doing the same thing, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel like, you know, the way, um, renting by the room or Airbnb in it is, is I, I really do think it can really increase the value of that home. It can, it, it can increase your cash flow definitely to where, so like right now in today's market, it's really hard to find a house in which you can, you can have just one single family pay off the, the mortgage. It's just, it's just hard to do. So that's just one, you know, it's just a strategy to um, increase the cash flow of that one home. Right now, if, with my home in Kansas City, if I were rented to one family, I could probably only charge around fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. But because I'm renting by the room, I'm I'm able to charge, uh, I think it's twenty eight hundred, and then that's with me living in the basement. Well, first off, man, congratulations! That yeah. is absolutely awesome, man. I'm so so uh, happy that that concept, uh, even though it's in the in the infancy stages. Um, yeah. it's being proven and he can show that it that works. I think at this point, the worst thing that can happen is you got, you run into a bad tenant or two, which at some point you're going to, it's just, mm -hmm. I think everyone has, right. You, you're going to run into a bad tenant, but still um, seeing that you, you got that first month's rent collected. 
um, and it's actually working, man. Congratulations. Absolutely. Uh, uh, super, super happy for you. Um, so what you're doing is a house hack strategy. You deliberately went and found a single family home with a with several rooms rooms that you can rent out uh, while still living there and, and you're cash flowing $800 a month plus keeping all your BH. Yeah. Fan, fan, fantastic, man. Um, so how, how, like now that you've gotten through the first month, I mean, I know, I know you had to be like, yeah. like super nervous going into it, man. Oh, yeah. like, I know you had to be super nervous. <laughs> like talk us through that feel of like, you know, signing the papers to now yeah. like the execution, like how has that felt for you? Your mindset, like just, just, you know, I know how I feel. I'm just curious, like what, what that did. Yeah. For you. I mean, it's, it's crazy because I'm sitting there doing my nine to five job in the military and I don't even know how to build a contract. And so I'm like, how am I going to do this? And so like, I'm literally Googling, how do I build a rental contract? And it's so easy. Like once you find it, it's just yeah. so easy. But at the time it's like the fear of the unknown. What, how do I do this? And so I, I found a website that just like, you just answer yes or no and fill in the blank. And they, they basically create the contract for you. I got them under contract. Um, and you know, the way I screened them is there was a couple of things I was looking for. There, there was one guy that's military. So we had an instant bond there. And then the other ones I tried to, to target younger population that work that have a, like a solid job uh, because I'm, I feel like I'm limiting my risk there because they're younger. Um, and so that's why they're in a position where they're renting by the room, uh, you know, because you know, you're not really going to get millionaires renting by the room. Uh, you're going to get someone that's probably in a transition in life. And so I'd rather have a younger transition. That's just trying to save their money. Cause it's almost like pretty smart, right? If I were younger, uh, I I'd be in, and I felt like I was on the right track. I'd rent by the room I'm single. Uh, I've just got graduated of, out of high school or college. Uh, and so I'm going to save my money by renting by the room and not having a full apartment to myself. I, I feel feel like that's like something that's uh, actually pretty smart. So that's who I'm renting to. Um, and so they have solid jobs. And so that was like number one, right? If you have a solid job, that's how you're going to be able to pay your rent. So that, that's something that was important to me. I made sure I targeted those individuals. And yeah, so that first month rent. So I'm working with some of them. So it's two of them, they'll pay up front very first day of the month, no problem. But there's other two. Uh, one of them, I'm like, okay, you can't pay it all up front, but you get paid on what day, Wednesday, or I think that it was, it's Friday. So just pay me every week, every Friday. First thing comes out of that paycheck is your rent. So instead of 520, she does the smallest room, uh, ends up being 120 because I did over 52 weeks instead of 48 months. I, and a lot of people don't know that, right? I could have just charged her and got, you know, an entire uh, month's rent um, every year from her from, from charging her the same amount, like, you know, just taking 520 divided by four. Uh, but no, I, I, I did the math the right way. And so I charged her for uh, the 52 weeks, $120 a month. And then that'll even out to the same month as, or same amount as 520 a month. So she pays by the week. And then there's another guy that couldn't pay me up front. And I'm like, well, what's, the, what's the deal here? And, uh, he's like, well, I can't pay you everything. And so I'm like, well, how are we going to get through this? And so he, well, I get paid again next week. And so this guy pays me 400 for the first part of the month. And then halfway through the month, he'll pay me uh, 270. So he did pay in full a couple of days ago. And so, uh, so right now that's where we're at. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's going through those screening processes. Like yeah. we now got to see so many different styles or of applicants or people. Yeah. And, and 
this is a this is a struggle that every landlord has, especially if you're going to be self-managing. But the power oh, yeah. of what you've just done, I mean, you created side hustles uh, seemingly out of thin air over the past couple of years. And now you've married that with a house hacking strategy, which is which is probably one of the most passive things that you've done up to this point. How do you, how does yeah. house hacking compare to pallet flipping and and everything else that you've done? Yeah, you, you you hit it right on the nose. So all this all this uh, hard work, um, pallet flipping and and uh, you know doing Lyft and Uber, all that stuff is is meant to be saved and put into the next real estate strategy. Uh, because yeah, you're right, it's passive. So I'm just sitting there. I'm here at Fort Knox and I'm just collecting uh, collecting rent. It's a lot easier. Uh, there is a little work to it, and there's a little bit of uh, research I have to put into it and, and stuff. But really, it's it's a lot more passive than any of the other jobs I've been doing. Absolutely. Hell yeah! So for everybody out there that's that's uh, you know saying, "Hey, I'm too busy because I got a nine to five job." That's horseshit. We just yeah. proved it. All right. Like Aaron mm -hmm. made some time um, because it was a priority for him. Making that financial uh, that passive income, that financial nest egg, whatever you want to call it, for his family was a priority. So he then went out and started doing those side hustles while he had a full-time job. And now he just married that up with another extremely passive way. Everybody who's a service member, we all have access to the VA loan on top of that. Yes. Now, when you can put that VA loan with this strategy and do your side hustle, come on, guys. Come on, guys. That's making a huge difference. Yeah. yeah I mean, Mike just put out a video. Um, I, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, we, like how you can retire in like five years or 10 years or something like that within the military, kind of doing simple strategies like this, right? Uh, we have another um, another one of our guests, uh, Mincy Wong, came on. She's a she was an E6, and she basically did the exact same things that you're doing. Um, but she, you know, she bought duplexes, and she live in one side of the duplex, and then also rent a room out, and then rent the whole entire other side of the duplex out. So she was cash flowing, then still making, you know, still making money that way. Um, like a younger soldier, like it, regardless of what level you are um, in the military, or even if you're not in the military, if you're not in the military anymore. Um, regardless of where you're at, you can use these strategies to build wealth for you and your family, right? Um, and then also, just like uh, Mike Mike said and Aaron does, if you can marry that with um, that side hustle, right? That whatever other side hustle you have, uh, then you can just exponentially increase um, or decrease the time it takes for you to build the type of wealth that you want or the lifestyle that you want. So that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's next for you, man? We've gotten to this to this stage. Uh, where do you kind of see yourself in the next like three to three to six years? Uh, so, uh, twenty-five meter target. Um, I I'll probably wait till June to buy my next house. That's when I bought this last one was June. So I got to wait a year, and I'll probably use that VA loan down in Georgia uh, to buy the next real estate opportunity. Uh, it'll also be the home closest to where my family's at. So I'll, I'll have to Airbnb this one so that way I can block off the dates on the day I, I visit. Uh, and so it'd probably be four or five bedroom homes. That way they can stay there um, if they need to. And so that's that's the first that's the first one. And then I, really every year, every year I'll just buy a new house and then I'll do something similar. I'll either house hack it, use it on a furnished finder or Airbnb it. Uh, so the next one will be in Utah and then uh, it could be vacation rentals. Um, it could just be a normal house in an advantageous area. If you look at the right markets, uh, you know, the 1% type markets and, and, and you can just target those and, and every year. And so by year 10, a minimum of 10, 
I'd probably want a little bit, little bit more uh, because I think the cash flow is going to come. Uh, and so one, one of, I, there is a, a little bit of a strategy I, I, I might be doing in between there. And it's just the turtle. I just want to try one car, yeah. buy it for four or $5,000, see if it works. And if it doesn't, I'll just sell it or give it to my son who's about ready to drive in a year. So yeah. we'll, we'll see a, how that goes. <laughs> I got a, I got a good friend of mine. He's a killer rock star wholesaler. Um, I okay. met with him and it's been a long time. I met with, up with him maybe like a month ago. And he was telling me, yeah, man, I got Toro going. I was like, yeah, cool. How many, you know, you got one car up there? He was like, no, 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 I got a fleet. I was like, you got a fleet. How many does he have? He has like seven or eight. And they're and all he says, like. Uh, he says it's going good? Oh, it's going great, man. Okay. He's got yeah, like I'm gonna uh, try it. Civics and Camrys and stuff. And then he has like a nicer car. But you know what? He, you know what's crazy, man, is. And I don't know how it works, so don't nobody try this and point at me. All right, he says that the airports have like a certain yeah. section that you can park your Turo cars. And it's yeah. like you stay over there for free, and when people land, they just rent it. And he's like, yeah, man, I can store all my vehicles up there. Uh, and the only reason I said don't point at me because I don't want you to go over and park your vehicle <laughs> and that thing get towed, okay? But but it's it's super amazing, yeah. man. He has a whole system around it. So if you do do it, let us know how it works, man. Keep us posted. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure – hopefully uh, Michael – probably put you in contact with his friend, I guess. And maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely in the plans for sure. That's excellent, man. I I love, I love, uh, that, um, you're self-aware enough to know what you want. Right. Uh, I I know that a lot of times, oftentimes, um, especially on, I've seen it a lot on the officer side, right. Uh, you make a, you make a certain living and you kind of feel like you're above, you know, doing certain things you know what i mean like you're, you're above like make, having a side income you're above like i don't I don't know maybe it's just my experience but I, i've ran mm-hmm. into a lot of uh a lot of people that i talk about like hey i'm doing this you know what i mean or hey yeah. I, i'm doing this on the side and they're like what what do you mean you know like so i i love that you are uh self-aware enough to know hey this is what i want and this is why i'm doing this so i don't really care i'm going to get it done yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't hide it from anyone. So yeah. I, I tell my coworkers and it's like one of their side jokes, you know, it's like <laughs> we're on signal chat and they're like making fun of me. Hey, you're going to lift these, you know, cause we right now that my current job is we have people flying into the airport. Um, we're doing the battalion brigade commander assessment program. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So they're coming into <laughs> Louisville airport and they're, they're driving into uh, Fort Knox. I mean, we have 72 candidates a day. Uh, coming on in and so i i'm, hey, I'm the mayor so oh, i see but they're all making fun of me saying are you gonna pick these guys up on lyft you know this guy needs yeah. a ride from the airport it's just whatever but yeah. uh yeah we have a good time that's funny that's hilarious yep. yeah yep. man but um hey i i think uh you have a, an awesome story and i can't wait to see um you know how how it pans out or how it continues to grow over the next uh few years man like yeah for sure um do you have anything um any like one piece of advice you'd like to give any of our uh, listeners as far as, you know, kind of, kind of going along their path or finding what they want, um, you know, so they can kind of avoid the lifestyle creep or whatever it is in any, any one specific thing. So, so like I said, so before my Kansas city deal, I I was extremely nervous. Um, I did the research. uh, I was, uh call you guys have mentioned it many times in your previous podcast it's like that you know you're stuck in this paralysis paralysis. there it is yeah i was stuck in there for like two years because i've been listening to you guys since 2019 i didn't exercise this until 2022 so yeah three years uh but i was biding my time and i was trying to do other things and and anyways i just finally did it 
And, and it was through research though. It wasn't just a leap of faith. It was like, Hey, I think I can do this because I, you know, did the research here. Uh, the numbers add up, uh, you know, maybe my neighborhood wasn't favorable, but uh, I tell you what, um, when I listed this on Facebook marketplace, there is, there is a, a whole group of people and this is in independence, Missouri. So there's Kansas city and independence have this huge group of like haters, just straight haters. And I think their main focus, I think they're an organized group, but uh, I don't know that for sure, but they're hating on my post, right? So you, when you post on marketplace, you can check the block on certain groups. And so the groups I, I, I was posting on, they're, they're putting messages into my post saying, this is ridiculous. No one's going to, they're like laughing at me. I was like, what, what's with the laughing emoji? But yeah, so they're all hating on this stuff. And I was like, oh man, this, this isn't good for my, for my house. I'm listing this stuff. Maybe other customers are going to see this. Uh, but it had the actual opposite effect because a lot of the people uh, pressing on my house weren't in these groups. And so what is, is, is their, all their messages and all their feed and their negative feedback generated the algorithm to amplify my, my ad so more people were able to see it. And so I, I'm having hundreds of hits on people that are buying for this house. Uh, no one really uh, saw the messages. And so, but here's the other part about it is these guys are hating on me thinking I'm charging too much, but what, what's going on is I'm talking to these guys and they're like, Hey, I'm staying at a hotel. All right. Um, like what I'll tell one of my tenants that stay with me, she, she was staying at a hotel because she had uh, no credit or bad credit. So no one's going to take her. No one's staying in a normal apartment, a normal house. They're not taking her because she has bad credit. They already screened her and they're not, they're not accepting her. So the only place she stays is this dang motel with her six month old baby, right? She's paying $320 a week. So times that by four, whatever that number is. And she's renting one room uh, with, a, I think, a bathroom in there. It's soggy carpet, so it's nasty. It's not good. Uh, they have meth heads that are there uh, waking her up and her baby up at 3 in the morning. It's unsafe, right? There's gun shootings uh, going on right outside her door. And so that's what they're living in. And so I'm offering something a lot cheaper, right? 700 a lot cleaner, a lot quieter. Uh, and so she's not the only one. I had uh, many other people tell me about the same similar situation. So, uh, you know, when you guys are, you know, anyone's doing the analysis on this stuff and, and they're nervous about who's going to rent from me, I'll tell you what, the market is, I'm, I'm in Independence, Missouri. I'm not in Charlotte. I'm not in a, you know, a very expensive city. I'm in a city, I'm a Midwest city. And so that they're, they're paying $720 a month for one bedroom and they're sharing a bathroom. And uh, one other lady's uh, paying 520 for an eight by 10 room, sharing a bathroom with two men because she is in a tr state of transition where she needs this right now. So I feel like I'm doing uh, these tenants a favor uh, and I'm offering them uh, a clean house if they need me for anything. So that lady, she, I had a twin size bed all prepped and ready. Like all the rooms are furnished and everything. I had the sheets, the, the bed frame and the mattress and the nightstand. And she gets there. And after the first week, she wanted a queen size. No questions asked. I went through that liquidation and I found some mattress. I, you know, I found some cheap stuff for her. And so that's what I do. Another tenant wanted a, a grill. So I bought him a grill for like, you know, 50 bucks on marketplace. So I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm offering these guys. I'm a real, I mean, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm making $800 more a month so I can do this right. kind of stuff, but I'm do that for a reason to keep them happy and to make sure that they're never going to come back to me and complain uh, and say how horrible it was like, I'm going to take care of you. You know, I, I treat you like probably one of my kids. And so, uh, I feel like if I do that, uh, I feel like the, the karma is going to come back to me. Right. 
And, uh, you know, and, and so that, that's kind of uh, my mantra and that's why I do what I do. I love that because yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said one. So analysis paralysis, just in general, that's common for a lot of people, but you said you actually educated yourself prior to pulling the trigger. Right. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I like to say often is, is education without application is just entertainment. So at some point in time, you got to get off the couch and that's exactly what you did. But I, I love how you're able to now take all of these pieces and put them together because I was thinking about it earlier, but because you have such a skill set in the in the pallet in the pallet game, you now use that to furnish your Airbnbs and everything else. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So like a, a yeah, double absolutely. There. there there is a market in that too. Uh, the lady in Kansas City was gonna charge me eight thousand to furnish the house, you know, with everything. Right. And then the Airbnb company that I was working with, I just asked them for an offer, knowing I wasn't gonna take them. They offered twenty five thousand to fully furnish an Airbnb for. Wow. Me. Yep. Those are my Jesus. two offers. Mm -hmm. wow. I almost so, took, I almost took the 8,000 one because I was, I was going to uh, Germany. And yeah. so I, I was closing on a house and I was uh, going to Germany to support the Ukraine efforts. And I was like, I, I, I don't have time to do this. I can't do it. So I almost went with her for $8,000, but I, I turned down the house. And I turned down her and I went for the next house, maybe four months later when I got back. Yeah. So any Airbnb people out there, if you're looking for cheap furnishing, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. No, I, I, I'm not there yet. But yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, uh, something I could do. I, I just haven't looked into it seriously right now. Uh, I was just so, thinking about that. that. That might be a marketplace for you, like seriously, because I know yeah, I know a lot yeah. of Airbnb people. I know Mike knows a lot of Airbnb people. If you can get the furnishing right, then shoot, man. I know that's mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times they go to Ikea and get and pay for it. But yeah, yeah. Right now, it's like it was a slow game. I was there. And I, I think I told you this, Dan, uh, it took me about a month and a half to fully furnish it. And so I was kind of taking on tenants that were in a temporary basis. So that way I can gain enough funds to buy the furniture, furnish it. And then now that I furnish it, I can charge a little bit more, right? Before right. I furnish it, I feel like I can, I can only charge so much, but now, yep. now that it's fully furnished, now I can start getting my 12 month tenants. Absolutely, man. So now you got everybody hyped, man. Everybody's thinking oh, okay. about pallets and everybody's yeah, thinking about this. There you go. So how, how, can people, uh, how can people get in touch with you, man? How can they contact you? Uh, just just get me on on Instagram. Uh, I think it's Aaron.Holker on Instagram. I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, I'm trying to get more things going, but right now that's all I have. <laughs> Love it, man. Yeah. Excellent, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on um, again. Um, I, I do want to end with uh, one thing that you actually said, a, a synopsis of kind of something that you said uh, um you know, just do good for the world, man. Like do good for the world. And, uh, that karma, does come back. that karma does come back. Like I say, um, you can have everything you want in life as long as you help enough people get what, what they want. Right. So, um, I really, really like that. And I think that's a, a great thing to great thing to do. And that's going to take you far in life. Um, so yeah. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, this is an awesome yeah, appreciate episode. It, guys. Yeah. And, this uh, is, this yeah. is awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but with that, this is uh, Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby signing off.